Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast focusing in on teamwork, leadership, and culture. My name is Greg Gregory, the host of the Teamwork Advantage, where we help you once a week join in, listen to experts from around the world on great topics focusing in on teamwork, leadership, and culture. Once a week, listen to the Teamwork Advantage. You get ideas that you can use immediately and put it into your personal life as well as your professional life. Today, we're joined by Andrew Bartlow, and he has 25 years of human resource and talent management experience. And that goes a long way because things have changed so much in the last 24 months, much less the last five years. And he's worked with great organizations in a wide spectrum of sizes, maturity stages, as well as different industries. So that's going to bring us together with a whole lot of what we talk about here. He's also the co-author of Scaling for Success, People Priorities for High-Growth Organizations. As a master's degree and top program in his field, he has been CECP, SPHR, Six Sigma, and Executive Coaching. We'll talk about some of that stuff as we go along, because that's a whole bunch of letters. Andrew leads a company called Series B Consulting, which helps businesses to articulate, and here's the key phrase, their people strategy. So many teams, so many organizations don't have a people strategy. So Andrew helps with that and accelerate their growth while navigating rapid change. He also founded People Leadership Accelerator, which is the preeminent development program for startup HR leaders. He's worked with clients and like Masterclass and others to help them overcome obstacles in a hyper growth phase. And let's face it, there are some companies in the last year that have gone through some serious hyper growth. For the first time ever, he wants to share his lessons on podcasts, and we're excited to have him here on the Teamwork Advantage. Well, let's have some fun. Feel free to reach out afterwards, and anything else you want to know, we can just reach out here, and we'll trek in with Andrew and get back to you with all that. I'd like to say welcome, Andrew Bartlow. Hey, Greg, thanks so much. What a very kind and generous introduction. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Well, I'm excited about this. You know, as we've been doing the podcast now for a little over a year, we've had people from all walks of life and everything of that direction. I don't know that we've had anybody with Six Sigma uh, trainings in here yet. And so that's exciting. So I want to talk a little bit here. We've had HR professionals, but things have changed a lot. Before we get into that, tell us a little bit about who, who Andrew is. I mean, if we, those are not watching us right now. On the background in Andrew's room, he's got artwork from his kids. So, And it's absolutely fascinating little artwork. So if you get a chance, be sure to pop in and watch the video version in a couple of weeks. So, uh, But Andrew, how would you get started? Where did you come from? I mean, you're in the Bay Area, things like that. Sure, sure. Uh, well, hey, first and foremost, I'm a I'm a dad. I'm a dad to two little girls, ages five and seven, and those are the artists that uh, have the unicorns and dinosaurs and rainbows behind me. Um, so that's uh, that, that's a lot of fun and that's a lot of challenge, especially in the school at home and, and COVID era. Um, I live here in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, do a lot of work uh, locally, as well as I, I guess it's turned global over the past uh, couple of years, Zoom enabled, but originally from the Midwest. Uh, grew up outside Peoria, Illinois, 
Big Ten uh, university grad, uh, you know, undergrad and grad school, lived all over the place following my career. And uh, yeah, yeah, I got into the human resources field, you know, pretty early on. Um, it was really kicked off by uh, a labor strike by Dow component Caterpillar. Uh, Caterpillar and the United Auto Workers had a three-year labor strike uh, when I was in high school, beginning of college. And so that, uh, that really raised my awareness of labor hmm. management issues, the way that uh, communities and companies and the employees and everybody around is affected by what's happening inside what, what was such a big employer in, in the local area. So that, that drew my attention to HR. And boy, I never looked back, went to grad school for it and uh, did it for you know, 25 years-ish in-house and started consulting um, over the past four years or so after I really, really got lucky uh, as I was the head of HR at a real estate tech company that went public on my watch. Mm -hmm. So I had a little tiny piece of a place that became you know, worth a lot. And that gave me the, the freedom to write the book and start consulting and try to share some of my learnings and hopefully accelerate some other people with fewer stub toes along the way. And there's the key word, a fewer steps uh, along the way. Yeah. Shorten their learning curve is the term that's been used for decades in that aspect. Mm -hmm. You So as you came out of there, your company's called Series B, and we were just talking offline where that came from. It's part of the venture capital vernacular. Yep. Um, so where, tell, tell the listeners a little bit of where that came from and how you help. Because you also talked in your introduction about hyper growth. So mm -hmm. that all I'm assuming kind of ties together. That's right. That's right. Well, it's, uh, you know, human resources is a profession that often you know, really only exists inside giant companies where they have lots and lots, you know, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of workers. And you know, I, I cut my teeth, learned, learned the work at places like Pepsi and, and General Electric. That's where I got my Six Sigma certification at GE back in the day. Um, but out here in the Bay Area, especially, I guess it's, it's everywhere, um, there's so many companies that are just taken off and growing like crazy, fueled by venture dollars, venture investment. And um, you know, I, I, I picked Series B as the name of my company because the, the people and management challenges start to get really interesting and really complicated around that Series B stage. So in the, in the VC vernacular, you get um, you know, friends and family fundraising to you know, start your company, a seed round. A is the first institutional investment. B is the second institutional round. And so often you're around 50 to 150 employees as you're raising that B round of institutional capital. And that's where you start to see new layers of management, new management and operating processes. Um, you're, you're forced to evolve. And so based on my background in human resources, there's some, there's some learnings that, that I have to bring to the table. And you know, I'm, I'm trying to be helpful to that you know, high tech, high growth um, community that I'm a part of out here. Because so many people, as you know, they start up a company, they're really, really good at their ideas of what they do, but they don't necessarily know how to run the business aspect of it, much less the people aspect of it when they get into it. And that, that's where you start to come in and try and help people. Um, when you think about maintaining the culture, 
it's it's really difficult when you take a company that started off like Walmart with Sam Walton and having a very cute, warm, small culture or In-N-Out Burger, or how do these organizations, how can they maintain that small town culture when they start to get bigger? Now, that yeah. can also be from a company with one or two people getting a little bit bigger, not necessarily going global. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I love the question. And I would actually challenge the foundational assumption of you want to keep the culture. As you grow, the culture has to change. The culture okay. has to evolve. The way that you operate when you know each other, see each other every day in a physical environment, when it's you know, eight people and you know each other's families and everything that you're working on, it's very different than when you're at 80 or 800. There's a different level of communication there's a different, different level of trust. Uh, you need to have some new types of processes and structure. Ooh, that feels like a dirty word when you're a you know, small company founder or a, or a startup leader. And you know, bottom line is, if you try to hold on too tightly to the past of your culture, then you're, you'll really hinder your future growth. So you, you should keep your special sauce. Be aware of what is special and unique to you that you want to keep, but don't hold too, don't hold too tightly to the past at the right. same time. Yeah. Some of the values, though, can stay with you all the way. That's, that's yeah. a key factor. Right. So when, when we're looking at culture, there's, there's values, and those values should and hopefully be able to stay with you all the way through. In other words, you know, treating people with respect is a value that you don't want to lose that as you grow. Yeah, And you're absolutely right. Processes are absolutely key. And as technology evolves with things such as uh, Slack to be able to communicate with and things of that direction for people, it makes life so much easier. Uh, and being able to put those processes in place. I can remember when text messaging and instant messaging first started, there were some people who said, I ain't doing that. And that was just so funny. But we've got to be able to evolve with that process. Right. So... As we start to do that, and before we were uh, went live here, you and I were chatting about in the Bay Area, a lot of people are moving out of California, moving to Utah, moving to Colorado, and uh, you even mentioned Austin, Texas. When they start doing that, now we're looking at remotely, and of course, there are some companies are saying, hey, we're going to bring everybody back, and there are others that are saying, no, you can work wherever. I think Spotify did that. Uh, and so there are people who have now moved to Hawaii just so they can sit there and work on the beach all day, and they're still getting their job done. Mm -hmm. So the question now starts to come around, how can we make sure they're working on the right things? I mean, some organizations have been doing this for years. I've been working by myself out of my home now for over 20 years. So for me, it's not a problem. But for some people who've never done it, it can be a major challenge. So yeah. how can a manager, HR organization do that? Yeah. Uh, key question, right? Yeah. How, as you grow, how do you make sure your workers are working on the right things? Um, as a founder and as an owner, if you no longer are able to look over everybody's shoulder and, and have hallway conversations with them, how do you, how do you have alignment? I, th I think the magic wand tool here is one-on-ones. People with managers have those managers check in with them on a regular basis. You don't need some sort of fancy software, some heavy performance review process, but make sure that everybody has a clear manager. Don't try to stick to the you know, Zappos holacracy and we're all you know, an overly flat organization. People need direction. And so make sure everybody has a manager. 
and make sure that manager is having regular check-ins with their team. Uh, so maybe that's weekly, maybe that's monthly, maybe it's somewhere in between. But boy, that's just the magic wand tool of you know ensuring that people are aligned and working on the right things. And mm -hmm. you just ladder that up. So if you're the head of an organization with five different layers, you as the you know leader of that organization is is working very frequently with your direct reports, and they're working with theirs. And yeah, that that sort of alignment that's the magic wand. And you know, you're saying this, and it sounds so simple. It sounds so logical. Mm -hmm. Yet. <laughs> One person within there, if you are a senior level, uh, senior VP, and you've got multiple layers, you get just one hiccup in there, it, it's more challenging. Yep. How do we catch that? How can we make those, and I'm going to use a terminology that pilots will often use, how can we make an in-flight correction when we see something not going the way that we feel it should? Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, so a couple, couple of ideas. Um, one is inspect what you expect. So as, as a leader, with, um, as a manager of managers, you should be checking in with those managers to specifically ask, are you doing one-on-ones? And, and do skip levels periodically. Uh, so skip level is, you know, you, you talk to the people that are a, uh, a direct report to your direct reports. Maybe you do that quarterly. Maybe you have a group meeting. Mm -hmm. And you, you make sure that what your expectations are of the managers that work for you, that they're following through on it. Um, that, that's pretty simple. Second is just be public. Be public across the organization around what your, what your expectations are. So you can do that by articulating what are the two, three, five company level goals? What's most important right now? Mm -hmm. So that'll help with some of the broad strokes of alignment. Okay. Another thing that you can do is be public that I expect all managers in this organization to have one-on-ones. And so then people's teams will start to call them on it as well. So yeah. those, are a few, those are a few simple tools. Yeah. It's rational. You, again, you don't need to pay for some software uh, to do it for you. Yeah. So when you talked about getting together with regular meetings with people, you're talking, I assume, and I just clarify this, one-on-ones um, as well as team meetings. Is that right? So how often should organizations, in, in theory, I know there's no you know, magic wand to do this, how often should a manager be getting together with his or her team as a whole and doing a, a Zoom meeting? In you know, the old days, we would have huddle meetings. Some people would have a huddle meeting for 15 minutes every single morning. I don't know that that's necessary today. Yeah, there, there are stand-up meetings. Uh, you know, Jack Stack, the great game of business, has a, has a process that he talks about. Patrick Lencioni, author of Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and mm -hmm. you know, has the, the meeting advantage. He has a process. You know, I, I'd say, you know, there's no one prescriptive way that's perfect. And anybody that says, like, you must do it this way is trying to sell you something. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm trying to give you some tips. So I, I just suggest think it through. Think mm -hmm. through who are you touching? Is it the right frequency? Um, don't overdo it. And at the same time, don't underdo it. It's it's the Goldilocks zone that you're that you're looking for. Not not too hot, not too cold, not too hard, not too soft. Yep, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. So, so think like think that. about your different. Yeah, think about your different audiences. The people that work directly for you, the broader organization, mm -hmm. maybe your investors or shareholders. Like, how often are you touching them? And is it at the right depth and right frequency? And yeah. you know, just put it on one page and you know, see whether it makes sense or not.
Yeah. And the same thing now can apply when we're talking about, you know, church choir groups, uh, uh, HOA groups and meetings and associations and things of that direction is the, the leaders of that organization should be touching base with their direct reports within that follow through as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, even if, even in a, uh, a family relationship, how often are you getting your spouse time? How often are you getting your kid time or your your grandparent parent time? You know, those are different okay. people that you're different that you're touching at different times. And you know, w- what's the what's the depth and what's the frequency? Does it make sense once you look at it? So when you start looking at that, do you uh, advocate for a time block situation? Does that work for you? Is that oh, yeah. or what do you think? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a slave to my calendar. If it's not my calendar, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. And boy, there's nothing better for me than those recurring meetings that show up in my Google calendar or Outlook or whatever. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if you, if you block it, um, for me, if you block it, it happens. If you block it, it will happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you take, take the line from the movie, right? <laughs> if you build it, 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 they will come. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you block it, it will happen. So when we talk about hiring today, whether we're hiring frontline direct reports or whether we're in a senior level, what are some tips you might think about hiring today? Because let's face it, there's possibility that those people may not ever work in the office. You may not ever see them face to face. What tips do you have for a manager looking to do some hiring today? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's a different environment where you're doing full Zoom interviews uh, for a lot of people. You know, I'd, I'd suggest that um, have a plan in your interview. What are you looking for? Be be clear in the job description. Be clear in your conversation. It's not just a fit. It's about skills. What's the knowledge? What are the skills? What are the abilities that you're testing for? Is it a good fit for that person? Does, it, does this job make logical sense to them? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's one of the things I talk about is the WIFM or the EVP, the WIFM. Here's another acronym, W-I-I-F-M. Yep, what's in mm-hmm. it for me? And so that might be a regular paycheck, sure, but why is your job a better fit for them than the, than the job down the road? So just trying to assess that can you know, put you on the same side mm-hmm. as that potential employee. And um, you know, if it makes sense for them, it makes sense for you as the employer. Often. Right. And that's really key is understanding what's there because if we do it right up front, then the churn rate, turnover rate is going to be lower. We're going to have a better engagement going on all the way through. So it, it's kind of the wheel that just kind of gets things started. Yeah, yeah. So, it's again Goldilocks. You don't want to you, you don't want to have such a thick screen that it takes forever to fill a job, and you know you wait six months and talk to sixteen candidates, and you also don't want to just you know try to drop a warm body into whatever role right. um, you have. So you know, and it's different based on you know what the job is. Are are you you know mm-hmm. looking at uh, you know a fast food hourly worker, or are you trying to hire a COO of a multinational corporation? So. Yeah. And of course, there are various types of assessments that are available today that are approved for hiring. Um, Not not the behavior styles, because they're not approved for hiring, but there are others out there. Do you you recommend any of those? Do you know of any of those? You're shaking your head, so I'm assuming you're not really a fan of them. Yeah, I'm not not a big fan. Um, Yes, you might be able to avoid a lawsuit. well, I, actually, I can't, I can't say you can avoid a lawsuit. You might be able 
to defend yourself by spending lots of money with lawyers, um, you know, based off of using, you know, one of these assessments, but you know, ultimately none of these assessments are really tied to the work. Um, you know, the, one of my, one of my uh, grad school professors developed some of the first assessments for the US military and they were being used for tens of thousands of candidates as they were looking at officers and promotions or right. special forces. And the reason it works for them is because you're dealing with a very stable, clear job. And so you can assess for that specific job. Right. Cause you've got a baseline to work from on that. Yeah. And you have, you know, it's a rule of big numbers. You have thousands of people and you're able to you know, identify whether the people that scored high on this assessment were, were actually successful or not. Mm-hmm. And they're able to look at it over a, period of many years. Now, once you extrapolate that into a company with five people or 15 or 150 people, that assessment is not for you. You're, and by the way, your jobs are changing along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just not a great, it, it's not great. And yeah, um, you know, whether you end up uh, getting sued or losing the suit, that's, that's less important than are you really Getting the right person that works. Yeah. Are you using something that works? Everybody wants the silver bullet and bottom line, I don't think it exists. Great point, because I don't believe there is a silver bullet either. So let's just take one of these companies now that's starting to grow. And we're not necessarily talking huge multi-million dollar venture capitalist money, but a company that's been started is starting to grow, whether they're selling a product, a widget, or they're a reseller, whatever they happen to be. Because let's face it, in the last 12 to 18 months, there have been some companies that have gone disastrously down and had to close, but there have yep. been a lot of others who have been startups and have grown. So when we're hiring, we just talked a little bit about hiring frontline. How do you know when you need to hire that next level of leader? Because that's where it starts to get careful. And then, of course, how do we do that? How do we do you promote from within or do you bring somebody in? Boy, that, that's, uh, there's a lot to that question. It's and, a multifaceted one for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and it, it depends. It depends on your situation. It depends on your profitability, on your pace of growth, on the size that you're already at. Uh, depends on a lot of factors. And so, again, if somebody tries to give you a, an out-of-the-box answer of, you know, in February, you should do X. If Mm -hmm. you have, once you cross 50 people, you should do Y. It's, bottom line, it's not that simple. Now, I can talk about the frameworks. Okay. So these are the things to think about. And I've I've named a few of them. How big are you already? Are you profitable? How costly is adding that next layer of management? Maybe really critically, how quickly are you growing? So that will indicate, are you hiring a future department head or are you f- hiring someone that is purely operational, roll up their sleeves and do the work? So whenever possible, if you're growing quickly, you want to hire the future head of that area, somebody that can be a player coach. Whenever possible, you want to hire someone that has some stretch. Um, but that's dependent on pace of growth. If you're only hiring one person this year, then you know you you have a different set of uh, criteria. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the framework: pace of growth, how important those marginal dollars are to you, um, what's the work to be done. And that's some of the framework around how how do I decide when. Now, here's another, maybe more practical tip: um, spans and layers. 
management span and management layers. So by span, I'm talking about how many direct reports does a manager have? And so your span is 10 if you have 10 direct reports. Um, some managers can handle more people than others. So we're talking generalizations. Um, so you're talking manager skill drives some of it. Another is how different is the work that those direct reports are doing. If you're in a call center and you have you know, inside salespeople that are all doing exactly the same work, they're all in the same physical building, they're you know, all, all doing fairly routine operational work, you might be able to handle as many as 15 or 20 direct reports. If you're a CEO who has marketing and sales and technology and very, very different types okay. of work okay. that they're trying to manage, then you can probably only handle four to six. So on the very high end, 15 or 20, on the low end, four to six, for most job types, you're looking at a uh, seven to 10 span of control. And so, you know, just thinking about those frameworks and, hey, if I have 12 people right now and I'm feeling really stretched and I'm not getting the time to do one-on-ones with them, I don't feel like I have a good idea of what they're working on, it's pretty different, then it might be time to start thinking about, you know, carving that up in half. And instead of the 12, you yeah. have six and grow into it. So think of span of control. So when you look at that, some companies would look at that and go, but if I do, if I take that higher person, go to six, we're going to be not as profitable because it's going to take a while to grow into that. For sure. What do you tell somebody? Because logically, I know that's the right move, but they're looking at the wallet and the, the budget lines and going, I don't think that's the right move. Yeah, that, go, that goes back to the framework that I talked about early on, which is what, what's, your, what's your profitability? What's your pace of growth? Mm -hmm. If you're going to go from that 12 into two managers with six each, are you going to stay at six each for the next six to 12 months? Or are you hiring so quickly that that six is going to turn into 10 each? Uh, exactly. Exactly. Right. So okay. that, that, that's why it's not an easy answer to say, hey, once you hit eight people, you need to carve it up. No, it, it depends. It depends mm -hmm. on all these factors. And that's why it's complicated. Right. And it's possible that John may be able to handle eight to 10, where Bill may only be able to handle three to five, yep. even in the same area of work. Bingo. So there, therein gets to be a challenge. Yep. Today's world, we're looking at people almost like it was, I was in the mortgage banking business back in the 1980s when the refi boom started to hit. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, there was job hopping. People would yeah. leave one company to another company, sometimes two and three companies in a 24 month period because they're picking up raises and bonuses and everything else. And again, I know there's no magic bullet. If we're doing everything right, we're gonna retain our employees. But what are some tips that you might offer today in this changing environment to help retain employees? Yeah, I think it's, it's really valuable for an employer to think about the WIFM mm -hmm. um, and, and think, uh, you know, another, another acronym, love it, love my acronyms, is... Uh, is and you're not e from D.C. either. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> is EVP, Employment Value Proposition. So that, that's another way of thinking about what's in it for me, but, you know, that, that might be a subset of your workforce. So what are you as an employer offering to 
your technology team? Uh, what are you offering to your general and administrative team or your sales team? Um, what's in it for them? Why would your job appeal to them versus their alternatives? Okay. Um, in today's environment, we're looking at more and more companies that are considering fully distributed workforces. So people all over the place. And if you are mandating that they come back into a central office, that's a trade-off. Some people might like that. It might turn other people off. So what are the trade-offs that are inherent in your, in your employment value proposition? Do you pay at the top of the market or do you pay at the middle of the market? Um, is it a tough work environment or is it a really family-friendly uh, work environment? Does it appeal more to people with kids or does it appeal more to people very early in their career? So startups are, are classically focused on early career people that are just willing to grind and work really hard and have, have no other priorities in their lives. And, and that leads to um, trying to drive more of a social atmosphere in the organization. Okay. So, you know, the, those startups really appeal to the millennial, you know, childless, often workers. And, uh, and that's kind of the classic framework of a, of a culture at those organizations where people are trying to get promoted quickly they don't have big uh, mortgages and paying, you know, bills for kids to go to school. Uh, so they're, they're willing to take a gamble on rapid career growth. Whereas a Procter & Gamble or a General Electric or a big Fortune 500 company offers more stability and more regimented and structured growth. So anyway, I, I could go on about this. The point is, think about who you're appealing to and why. And that might allow you to make some decisions around how to change your offering or how to talk about your offering. And if it's not compelling to the group of people that you need working for you, then, hey, it's time to you know, pull a lever, make a, make a shift. Yeah. Some kind of a shift through there. Exactly. Because the one thing you don't want is to bring somebody in that's not going to be a fit and eight months to a year, they're gone. Right. You know, and that, right. that's, that's a huge, huge challenge. Yeah. And hey, that, that said, you're never going to please everybody all the time. Oh, never. Right. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to have some turnover. You're going to have some people with, you know, can't, can't miss opportunities or personal situations that cause mm -hmm. them to leave. But you know, just again, taking a look at the EVP is valuable. Right. And then they may change themselves. They may be on that desiring that career growth now and no kids or anything in that direction. But two years from now, that may very well change. And all of a sudden they want to change everything. So there, there is a lot that we've got to look at and, you're, again, you're never going to appeal to everybody. Yeah. A while ago, you were talking about growth and sustaining the growth. Mm -hmm. One of the companies that comes to my mind about incredible, steady growth is Southwest Airlines. You go back to 1972 when they first started. And Herb Kelleher, and they, they wanted to grow at a certain percentage every year. So even in their good years, they grew at a certain pace. They didn't go crazy. Their bad years, they didn't pull back. They still grew at that same pace. Is that doable today? Um, yes, but. <laughs> Wait, we're supposed to say yes and, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. All right. Yes. And yes, it's possible uh, to do today, but, uh, but <laughs> it, it takes a lot of discipline to do that. 
Yeah. Um, and and let, let me let me add a little bit of context to that. Okay. So it, if you're taking venture capital dollars, the expectation is that you're going to grow very rapidly. You know, there's something called the power law in VC investing, which mm-hmm. is, you know, 10, 10 companies get funding and the expectation is that eight or nine of them may just not work out, may ultimately fail. And one or two might be moderately successful. But what you're really going for is the one unicorn, the one big one that really takes off. And so, you know, it's it's more gambling and in, in especially early stage VC. So when you get the VC dollars, the expectations are that you're gonna you're gonna really put on the gas to grow. Okay. And and that can be fantastic. That can help organizations drive to their uh, highest and best use. And you know, there are plenty of organizations that have had a ton of success with uh, with VC investment, but it's also it's also risky, right? When you take those dollars, the expectations are that, you know, every 18 to 24 months, you're going to be raising again. You'll be unprofitable along the way because you're trying to drive growth and it's more of a winner take all market in, in those cases. So the bootstrapped organizations that are trying to be uh, cost conscious and grow profitably may not grow as quickly, right. but they can often grow more sustainably. Right. And that's, yeah. that's what I'm looking at is a small to mid-sized company can possibly have a better shot at doing that Southwest type of model than somebody going after the venture capital money. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's trade-offs. It's trade-offs mm-hmm. though. Like if you're going for the VC dollars, there's a reason for it. You're, you're, not, you're not just going for the dollars to have the dollars um, because you're you know, offering up control to those investors. Um, it, it, there's there's a reason for trying to get the fast pace of growth. Maybe you need to make a move in that marketplace, or it won't be, or somebody else will take it. Yeah. In Southwest, they they had a brand, they had a process, they were just you know looking for new gates at new airports ultimately to mm-hmm. offer more lines. Whereas if you're in a technology field, you're trying to build that product as fast as you can and attract users before somebody else does it. So it's yeah. it's a different pace of competition in different industries. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the key factor. So how do we avoid burnout today? Let's talk about not just in the human resource world, but how can the average employee try and avoid some burnout today? I mean, it, it's some of the studies I have read are showing that people are working longer when they're working from home. They're working yeah. harder and they're burning out faster. What what are some things that the average person can do from your point of view to try and avoid that? Yeah, I'd, you know, first suggestion would be you know take responsibility for your own time and your own schedule. You know, block it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if you block it, it'll happen. So you know, I I dropped my girls off at uh, at school this morning. Thank goodness they're you know finally doing some in person school. Okay, uh, so I. I block off my mornings and I don't take any meetings until 8.30 uh, a.m. Uh, Pacific time. So that ensures that I have time to get them out the door and, and get back. Um, you know, block off a vacation day, block off a, uh, an opportunity to exercise. Maybe you don't control your entire schedule. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm an independent consultant and I can do that. Um, and, you know, somebody will jump in and, and have a meeting that I feel like I need to attend. But if you're blocking those things, um, it's much more likely to happen. 
whether right. it's exercise or lunch okay. or a vacation or whatever. So, you know, just, just take control of your own calendar rather than let it happen. Okay. So now let's talk to our human resources professionals out there, your colleagues from over the years. Okay. Yep. Uh, you have the senior professional human resource designation. They're burning out at a rapid rate today because they're having to pull things in different directions than they never thought possible. Okay. That's kind of where I think things are happening. Am I right in that assumption? Is that why we're burning out today? And are there things that they can do? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation for a lot of uh, HR leaders right now. The, the demands on HR leaders are new and, uh, you know, we, we haven't dealt with a pandemic in 80, 100 years. Yeah. Right. And what was HR as a profession a thing back during the Spanish flu? I, I don't think so. About um, it. Yeah. And all the legal issues around, you know, COVID and return to work and then the huge, you know, social equity, uh, diversity and inclusion uh, emphasis that's been in the zeitgeist over, over the past year plus. Uh, these are big issues that affect your workforce, and HR is often looked to to have the answers. And we don't. We don't have the answers. We're looking to each other. We're looking to resources. Uh, you know, consulting firms and law firms are publishing a lot of good stuff out there, but it's really stretching a lot of HR people. Um, and that's leading to, you're right, burnout. It's leading to CEOs and, and senior leaders expecting more out of many of their HR folks. Like it, you know, in the past, payroll benefits, employee relations, you know, make sure that we can hire and fire and keep us out of jail. You know, that's, uh, that, that's been often the minimum expectation for many people leaders, for many HR professionals. It's a lot more right now. So what, what do you do? Learn every chance you get use your resources, do your Google searches, find a community, find other HR professionals that you can ask questions to. Um, I, I'm a member of several different professional communities where we ask questions of each other and people are just very generous sharing their, their knowledge. I started the executive education program, People Leader Accelerator, to help startup HR leaders figure out how to, how to do the job more successfully. Um, yeah. So you, and there are a resources. number of LinkedIn groups that will fulfill some of that. People can join a group in that direction and get into a uh, conversation there with people. Am I right? Yeah. Li LinkedIn groups tend to be very, very large and impersonal. I, I'd suggest uh, looking for something more uh, niche in your area. So okay. I'm a member of a group called Startup Experts, which is HR, finance, and uh, operations leaders at very small, high growth companies. And uh, we have lots of events and a, um, and a pretty active Slack community. I'm a member of another group called uh, uh, People Tech Partners, HR leaders of uh, high growth tech companies. And there are a couple hundred of us. Uh, we have a Google group where we trade a lot of knowledge pretty regularly. Um, so th those more personal groups where you actually get to know a little bit about each other rather than sending something out you know, to, yeah. to the world okay. on Facebook or LinkedIn are, are usually more useful. Yeah. And some of those LinkedIn groups can get huge. Some are a little bit more reasonable in size. So, yeah, you know, find, find the fit that works for you, but you know, look for community and you don't always have to pay for it. No, 
Absolutely. There's a lot of stuff. There's an enormous amount that's out there because even in this crazy mixed up world, I believe there's a lot of good out there and people truly wanting to help each other. Yeah. And that's something that I'm seeing and I'm just, and that's heartwarming, you know, to see people wanting to help each other, regardless of the position they're in, stepping up. And that's that's powerful. And, you know, this podcast is one of those little platforms, you know, people can cop on here 30 to 45 minutes and pick up some great information, just as we did today. You know, um, Andrew, thank you so much for being a guest here on the Teamwork Advantage. We've been going for about 40 some minutes right now, which is the time frame I like to keep it at, because that's in the old days, that was the distance on average commute to work. <laughs> Post-pandemic, it's, it's the average dog walk, I think. So it kind of fits right into that. Um, thanks again for joining us here on the Teamwork Advantage. Until next week, remember that having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, you're not average. So make today an excellent and exceptional day. Next week, we'll be back with another guest on the Teamwork Advantage. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.